You know, um, when they told me what they were going to do with covering a different Bible character every week leading up to Christmas, I prayed about it and I really felt God wanted me to go in that direction and flow with that theme. Because Bible characters are more than Bible characters. They are real people of whom we have true historical accounts of how God changed their life and how God moved in their life. And so I want to read about one today, Elizabeth, who we just heard from. Didn't she do a good job? Amen. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about blessings in barren places because the, the story of Elizabeth is the story of barrenness that was turned into a place of blessing. So I want to read Luke 1. We're going to read quite a few passages, a little bit of the Christmas story. And all the next few weeks, we're going to lead up to the birth of Christ. And it's going to be good stuff. Let's read the opening of the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were righteous before God, both of them, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the, of the Lord, blameless. But then there was a problem. They had a problem, as everyone does. Here was the problem. They had no child. She was barren. Okay? So there's the problem. And then on top of that, they were both well advanced in years, so forget it. Okay? So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now look what happened to him. Suddenly, God invaded his normal everyday everyday. He stepped in in the presence of an angel. Now this is not a myth. It's not a fable. A real angel invaded his space and said, hello. Okay. God comes when we least expect it. And when Zacharias saw him, notice he didn't say, may I have this dance? I read about people say, oh, I, had an, I saw an angel and we danced. No, you did not. When you see a real angel, you are on your face. And you do what everybody does. You're troubled. Okay? He was troubled and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him what he always has to say to people. Read it with me. Do not be afraid. Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, get this now, is going to bear you a son. You will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's not going to drink wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get this, everybody. From his mother's womb. That means in the womb, he'd be filled with the Spirit. What does that do with abortion? I ask you. So clearly, a child in the womb is not a blob, but I digress. I'm only pointing this out to you to say if a baby can be filled with the Spirit in the womb, that is not an it or a thing. It's a person. 
All right. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He also will go before him, that is Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And guess what? Zacharias was so blown away. He said, how can these things be? And God shut him up for nine months. That goes, now he couldn't talk. That goes to say when God says something heavy to you, say, I believe it, amen. All right? Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will speak into the barrenness of our lives, those barren places that ache and hurt, those barren places where there is such emptiness. I pray that, Lord, the word of faith in your word will be launched and birthed in the hearts of every person listening to me that God can bring life and blessing into our barrenness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before you're seated, I'm going to give you a little heads up. We're going to say together several times today. Now, in other churches, Episcopalian churches, churches like that, they do readings where the, the minister will say something and you repeat it, or you're giving something to say. So we're going to kind of do that today with one phrase. Here it is. God is bringing life out of the barren places. So I want you to say with me, God is bringing life out of the barren places. Do you believe that? I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, preach to them a little bit, say, God is bringing life out of the barren places. And I really do believe that. And I'm just speaking that over many of you today. You know, this story begins with the high priest, Zacharias. He goes in there. He has no idea. He's in the temple and, and he's making an offering and he has no idea that God's about to show up and speak a miracle over his life. He has no idea what's about to transpire. And my experience with the Lord has pretty much been that God shows up when I least expect it and just does a miracle. And here's Zacharias, and suddenly there's an angel. An angel shows up and tells him something extraordinary. You're, you're age, aged, Zacharias, and so is Elizabeth, but guess what? I'm going to do a miracle, and she's going to conceive, and you're going to have a son. And not only a son, but this son is going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Zacharias, who you have taught about. Your son is going to prepare the way, blaze the trail, make a way, make a straight path for him. Zacharias is blown away, but it happened exactly as God said. Even though not only was Elizabeth barren, but she was old and barren. When you're barren but young, there's still hope. When you're old and barren, hope is gone. And no doubt they had already chalked up that their life was going to be one of a childless life. But God had other plans. And what I love about God is he has surprises. God really does bring surprises. We serve a living God, not a wooden idol that can't hear, speak, see, or help. We serve the living God who does intervene in the affairs of men. He moves. But barrenness was a big deal in those days. Barrenness was a big deal in Bible days. And when I think of the word barren, 
I think of negative things. Barren is a negative word. Barren's never really, almost never a good thing. I think of a desert. A desert, a dry, barren, lifeless void of a desert. When there's very little life, a few cacti here and there, and creatures that live off of the water and the cacti, that's it. Very little life. A desert is barren. Or a wilderness is a barren place. And I think of that. When I think of barren, I think of unfruitful. I think of empty, unproductive, dead. When there's no life, barren, no hope, barren, a wasteland. And barren in the Bible, when a woman in, in Bible times was barren, it was very negative. People looked at that woman like something was wrong. Now, in our day, we know there's many reasons you can be barren, and it's not necessarily that God is against you at all. But in Bible times, they always attributed barrenness to God being angry at that woman or her being under some kind of a curse. It was a reproach for a woman to be barren. A woman's worth was measured by how many children she had. And how many children she did not have. If you had many children, people considered that God was smiling on your life. But if you didn't have any children, then God was frowning on your life. And that's the way they looked at it in Bible times. It's tough on a woman. What's always struck me is some of the great women in the Bible were barren until God moved on their life. I mean, some heavy hitters, in the Bible. Abraham's wife, Sarah, the whole story of Abraham and Sarah is them believing God for a child, even once they had gone into old age. And finally, God gave her the son of laughter, Isaac. But for years, barrenness haunted them, vexed them, followed them, spoke to them, mocked them. Where's the child that you promised, Lord? We're getting old, don't you see? Have you looked at us lately? God waited so long as he wanted to be a miracle child. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was barren. You remember the story. She was barren for years, and her competitor, Penina, daily mocked her and ridiculed her because she had no child, and she used it against her until finally Hannah began to cry out to God in such a way that Eli the priest thought she was drunk. She wasn't drunk. She was just staggering under the weight of barrenness. And God answered and gave her a child, not just a child, but the prophet Samuel. When God answers, he really answers. Samson's mother was barren. And God finally gave her a child. And that child, Samson, the mighty man, helped deliver Israel from the Philistines. So no doubt, there's no question about it, Elizabeth was very used to the, 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 the subtle wink and a nod from other women as they looked at her and gossiped behind her back about her barrenness. What's wrong with her? She's the high priest's wife. If anybody ought to be fruitful, it ought to be her. What's wrong with her? Years she had dealt with this, and I believe she had just chalked it up. I believe both of them had just chalked it up and said, it's never going to happen for us. But then God moved, and God brought life into her barrenness. And I think it's no mistake that the story of Elizabeth is the opening salvo of the Christmas story because the Messiah, her son, was going to point to and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Messiah is going to be known 
as one who brings blessing and life into barren places. So the angel visited Elizabeth first, and then Mary six months later. And here's another thing, just if I can just throw this in, just a little bit of light, no condemnation, but a little bit of light about abortion. Our current administration and many, many people, including a person who wants to be governor of Texas, is all for late-term abortion. But can I show you something? When Mary showed up at Elizabeth's house and Mary spoke, it said the baby that was six months old inside of her leaped at the sound of Mary's voice and did somersaults inside of her because the John the Baptist that was in her womb recognized the voice of the mother of the Messiah whose coming he would announce. Now, if that can happen to a baby six months old, three months to go, what does that tell us about the value and the preciousness of a child in the womb and that you really are dealing with a child and not an it or a thing? God help the people in our day who are so woefully blind. So her child, John, would be the forerunner of Christ. So I want to suggest today that one of the key messages, one of the life messages of Elizabeth's life is that of having God's blessing fill the place of barrenness in her life. Barrenness is a tough thing. Do you know that you can be barren in many, many ways? You can experience barrenness. You can experience barrenness relationally. There's no friendship, no life, no love in your life. You're relationally, you feel void. You feel you feel barren. We live in a nation where you can contact people, you can email them, you can text them, you can tweet, you can this, you can that, and the other. You can look at somebody on the computer face-to-face, and yet I just read recently that America is one of the loneliest nations in the world. People go to bed every night aching with the barrenness of loneliness. You can be barren financially. You can be barren in your marriage. You live together, but you're like, Two people that rent the same house. You don't know each other anymore. You've grown apart. There's a barrenness there. It's an ache and it talks to you all the time and you wonder if it'll ever change. And I came today to bring you a word of life and a word of faith that our God is the God who brings blessing out of barrenness. He, listen, it's never over till God has had his say. And, and we're going to learn... We're going to learn today to give our barrenness to God. Now, I want to show you that our God, the God of the Bible, has identified himself many, many times in the Word as he who brings fruitfulness and blessing in the place of barrenness. One of my favorite verses is Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Let me show you how God brings blessing into barren places. God says through Isaiah, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Quit living in the past. There's nothing back there. The past is past because it's past. Don't live life looking in the rearview mirror. You're going to crash. Our God is a God of the future. I love the verse that says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future, to give you a future, to give you a future, and to give you a hope. That's our God. 
You may be down. You may be out. You may feel like there is no hope. You may be barren with a capital B. But today I want you to know that we serve a God who can reach down into the barrenness of your barrenness and change it and bring blessing into it. And I believe he's going to. Now, God announces, he says here, he says, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. And he says, let me tell you how you're going to know it. I will even make a road in your wilderness. Well, I love that. Because you know what's in a wilderness? No roads. I'm going to make a road in your wilderness and rivers in the desert. Notice that Isaiah gives two barren things, wilderness and desert. He says, God's going to change your wilderness and God's going to change your desert. And it's very interesting what he says about it. He says, I'm going to transform two barren places. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a road to walk on in your wilderness. There are times that we don't know where to go, where to turn. We have no compass. We have no sense of direction. We feel like we're in a blinding snowstorm trying to reach something and we can't see. And God says, here's what I do when you're mine. I send in the heavy road equipment and I'm going to build you a road where there is no road. And that road is going to be the road of direction. And I'm going to lead you through this wilderness. Thank God it says, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. The child of God does not build his house in the wilderness, in the valley of the shadow, in the desert, but we go through it because listen, if God brings you to it, God will bring you through it. So God says, I'm going to transform. I'm going to bring you a road to walk on. That's guidance. And I'm going to give you water to drink in your desert. Now, what you don't find in a desert is water, and what you don't find in the wilderness is a road. God says, I'm going to invade your barrenness. I'm going to invade your barrenness. And I'm going to put a blessing right where the devil is trying to destroy you. I love what the psalmist said. He prepares a table before me while my enemy has to watch. I love that. I love knowing the devil has to watch God bless me and can't do a thing about it, but he's got to watch it anyway. I love that. <laughs> he said, I'm going to give you water in the desert. Now, the water he's talking about is certainly not H2O. It's not Ozarka. But let me tell you what it is. It's the same water that Jesus told the woman at the well about. He goes up to the woman at the well. He says, give me a drink. She's at a well. He walks up, sits down. She says, what are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan, about? You don't talk with us because we are dirt in your eyes. But she was not dirt in Jesus' eyes because Jesus was not a racist. Amen? Jesus is not a racist. And so Jesus said, give me a drink. And so she said... Well, I'll tell you what, why don't you talk to me a little bit more? And they began to converse. And then the Bible says that she, that Jesus said to her, I'm going to give you living water, living water. I love that phrase, living water. It's better than Ozarka. It's better than any water you can buy. Living water. She says, what is this living water? What is it? 
And then he read her mail. He said, you really want it? Then you're going to have to repent. And let me tell you that you've been looking for the water I'm talking about in all the wrong places. The water that I'm going to give you will be in you. Listen to this. A fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. She said, I want that water. He said, if you drink this water, you will never thirst again. What did that mean? He was saying, lady, I've got the water you've been looking for all of your life. You've been looking for this water in all the wrong places. You've been looking for it in relationships with men. You've been looking for it here, there, and everywhere in illicit encounters. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now, you're shacked up with and not even married to. And she said, sir, I believe you're a prophet. She was very smart. And Jesus was saying, the water that I have for you, if you drink it, you will never thirst again. That is, you will know you have found what you were always looking for in all these relationships, but nothing satisfied until you drank of the living water. The living water is the Holy Spirit. It is being reconnected to God. It is coming back into relationship with Him. It is coming to know Him as your Father. It is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because listen to me, everybody, there's a God-shaped hole in every soul. And nothing will do but God. You can look in drugs. You can look in alcohol. You can look in different philosophies. You can look here, there, and everywhere. Out there in that world, you will not find what Jesus has to offer. I'm standing up here telling you today that we need the living water that Jesus was talking about. And it's the water that springs up into everlasting life. Now, uh, I want to look at a couple of Old Testament examples of how Jesus brought blessing into a barren place. And I love these stories. You remember Moses took all the children of Israel out of Egypt. Over a million people walked into the wilderness, go across the sea and walk into the wilderness. And the first problem they encounter is no water. There's no water. And then finally they get to a place called Merah, which means bitter and there they find water, but true to the name of the place, the water was bitter. The water was poisonous. They could not drink it. They took one sip and said, Moses, we can't drink this. It's bitter. It's poisonous. And they began to grumble and complain and murmur and criticize. They even formed a committee. You might know this committee. Maybe we should turn around and go back committee. You ever been around a maybe we should turn around and go back committee? That's when you hook up with people that are disillusioned and disenchanted with God. They decide to leave church. They decide they're going to go back to the world. And, and, and it's a little committee, and you get together and you feed one another. And so maybe we should go back to Egypt committee. Maybe we should turn around and, and go back to where we came from. But you know what? If you go back to where you came from, just like the disciples did not catch anything when they went back, you won't catch a thing if you try to go back into the world from which you were delivered. There's nothing there, okay? And so Moses went to God and said, God, what am I going to do? Now, watch this. This is so powerful. Look what God said to, to Moses. The Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the bitter waters, the waters were made sweet. Now, I'm always telling you and quoting you this verse. Listen to this. 
Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. What we just read, the tree going into bitter water, Paul tells us in Romans 15, 4, that was written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. God does not want His people ever walking around hopeless, depressed, in despair, befuddled, not knowing what to do. Even if we don't understand what's going on around us, we can still have hope. And where does hope come from? It comes from reading the Word of God that was written for our learning. And when we read the Word of God, we, from the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, hope is inspired because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Now, that being said, what in the world is God trying to tell us with this story of Moses standing here with bitter water and a million people crying out for a drink, and he grabs a tree, and he puts it in the water, and it's healed? What is the message there? It's so clear to me. That tree is a type and a shadow of the cross of Christ. Listen to what Peter said. Who himself, that is Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The tree. He died on a tree. And then look what it says, that we, having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Now watch this. You want to know how to get healed in this life? You go to the tree. Moses grabbed a tree and put it in poisonous, bitter waters, and they were healed. Church, we live in a world that is bitter. It is bitter water. It is filled with hate, filled with Racism, hate, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, murder, lust, perversion. Out there, it is bitter waters. But I've got a solution for the world. I wish I could go on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and any of the others and give me five minutes. Here's what I would say. I would preach Christ and Him crucified because, listen, the answer to the world's problems is not another politician, not a political party, not more money. Not this, that, and the other. The real root of the problem in this country is our sin. And the way to heal the bitter waters is to take the tree, the cross of Christ, and apply it to the bitter water. That's right. Paul said, when I came to speak to you, I didn't come with fancy words, but I came humbly and I spoke simply and I only told you about Christ and Him crucified because that cross is the answer to the world. Look at that cross. Think back to that cross. I love the way it is positioned. It is horizontal and it's vertical. It's horizontal as if God is stretching out His arm saying, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if we go up to that cross and allow God's arms to embrace us at that cross, then we go up. 
And he takes your hand and he takes God's hand and they join them together. The cross puts our hands back in God's hands and we receive the life of God and the power of God and the peace of God and the salvation of God and the goodness of God and the bitter waters of our life are made sweet. Oh, church, when the cross of Christ and everything it stands for, what does it stand for? Forgiveness reconciliation with God, the defeat of Satan, deliverance from spiritual death. When we access that cross by faith, when we take that tree, as it were, and place it by faith into the waters of our bitterness and barrenness, the waters are healed. I can testify to you, it is true. That's why Christians who are walking with God have a smile on their face and a gleam in their eye and a skip in their step because the weight of sin has been taken away. The burden of guilt has been removed. And though we sorrow, we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Amen? Come on, get a smile on your face, church. The cross of Christ. The cross of Christ was the defining moment in all of history. It defined history. Before that cross, B.C. After that cross, A.D. God's going to want to know from every one of us when we face him, not how'd you live, not who did you give money to, not how many times you help in the soup kitchen, but what'd you do with Jesus? What'd you do with Jesus? When you heard the story of the cross, what'd you do with it? Well, I decided it wasn't for me. It is for you. I decided it didn't pertain to me. It pertains to you. Moses took the tree, put it in the waters, and it was healed. Then also, they went down the road a little bit, had a water problem again. The people forgot what God had done. And they began to murmur and complain again. Moses goes to God again. God said, I want you to go up the Mount Horeb, and I want you to strike the rock that is on Horeb with the rod that is in your hand. Now Moses went and he hit that rock with the rod one time. Whack! He hit that rock. And out of that rock spewed a Niagara Falls of God-given Ozarka. Again, Paul tells us what to do with that in the New Testament. He says they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. The message to us today is that when you're in a barren, dry, wilderness place, you can turn by faith to the rock, Jesus Christ, and strike that rock. No believer ever has to be in a barren place. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. And he will bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. You see what that's saying? Though everything and everyone around you may be perishing, may be dying of thirst, may be in a barren place, the believer who is seeking God has got their roots 
next to the river and there is a continual source of flowing water into your life, you've got a secret, you've got a source, you've got something to access, you need to strike that rock and drink from what is coming out of that rock. When we strike the rock, let me show you how we strike it. We get up in the morning, there's a rod in your hand and it's called faith. You get up in the morning and you say, okay, no Bible, no breakfast. So I'm going to get into the Word of God first. And you open up this Bible. You know what you're doing? You're opening up the Bible and you're striking the rock. And when you get into this Word, it happens to me every single morning, suddenly this Word begins to gusher out the water that Jesus talked about the living water that feeds and nourishes my soul. And I drink until I'm full. I drink until I don't need any more. I drink and then I go face the devil and the world and the flesh. Every single, I strike that rock. And then if you want to pray, you go into prayer. What you're doing is you're taking the rod of faith into prayer and you're striking the rock and out from the rock comes wisdom, knowledge, guidance, direction, instruction, peace, strength, Life. You get in here and we praise God. We get in here and we praise God. You know what happens at first? You may not feel like it, but you continue to praise God and suddenly that rock begins spewing water and we drink of the life. Don't you love coming together and worship with God's people? Because when we worship, the water begins to flow and you leave better than when you walked in because God transformed us from glory to glory and faith to faith. Is anybody hearing me today? All right. <clears throat> the message to us today is when you're in a dr dry, barren place, God wants to turn it into a place of blessing, and he will. He'll do exactly for you what he did for Elizabeth. God promised through Isaiah, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. Floods on the dry ground. Now let me pause for a moment because Isaiah has something to say to us in closing. He has a challenge and he has a question. Here's the challenge that God speaks to Isaiah. He starts with ho, H-O, exclamation point, which means, hey, listen up. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Are you thirsty for truth? Listen up, he says. Are you tired of the rat race? Are you weary of life without meaning? Our nation is in a terrible, terrible predicament. And I'm going to tell you what part of the problem is. We have swallowed relativism, which means... There's no absolute truth. This Bible isn't true. You can't go to this Bible for an answer because truth is whatever you decide that it is. So if you decide something is right for you, then it's your truth. And you've got your truth and I've got mine. And can't we all just get along? And there's no absolute truth. And truth changes with time and with cultures and with societies. And we have swallowed the equivalent of state fair cotton candy. State Fair cotton candy looks good, tastes sweet, but it doesn't fill you up and it makes you sick at the end. And we see that cotton candy and we say, oh, 
Relativism, that sounds good to me. Forget all that absolute true stuff. I want to live life my way. Like Frank Sinatra, I want to, I want to do it my way. But your way is the wrong way because there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It's cotton candy. It's philosophical cotton candy. And it leaves you in a life with no meaning. You're on a hamster's wheel getting nowhere. You don't arrive at anything. There's no signs in your life that point to any certain destination because there is no certain destination if you live in relativism. Your destination is wherever you decide to stop, wherever you decide to go. And it leaves you in depression, it leaves you in confusion, and it leaves you in despair, and that is exactly where America has gone. Hear me today. America is choking on state fair philosophical cotton candy. God says, why do you spend money for what's not bread and your paycheck for what does not satisfy? You go out and you buy drugs, you buy alcohol, you buy entertainment. We're choking on entertainment. We're entertained to death, and it's not giving us anything. It's cotton candy. God says, come to me and eat what is good. Come to Jesus, and he will introduce you to spiritual Ruth Chris. If you don't know what that is, it's the best steakhouse in Fort Worth, and I hope they give me a coupon for saying that. especially since it's on radio. Hey! <laughs> Why are you spending your energy, time, and life on things that don't satisfy your soul? One with the well, man after man after man, relationship after relationship, searching, hunting, looking, longing for that living water. It wasn't in men. It's not in women. It's not in things. It's only in Him. If anyone thirsts, said Jesus, let him come to me and drink. Who he believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isaiah predicted that the blessing the redeemed would have is this. Therefore, with joy, you, the child of God, will draw water from the wells of salvation. So our God, who always turns barrenness into blessing if you trust him. Here's Elizabeth, gray-headed, old, childless, all of her life. And suddenly she's got a child rocking a baby. And she got to see him take the Son of God and dip him into water and bring him out. And the Holy Spirit came down upon his head and a voice thundered from heaven, this is my beloved son. Her John, her blessing. Can we stand together today? And I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask God to fill your barren places. As a matter of fact, I, I'm telling you, I'm praying this over this congregation. We all have barrenness somewhere. And it talks to us. It's an ache. It's a hurt. It's loneliness. It's a lack. Something is missing. And you don't know why. 
us to take it to God right now. Can you bow with me in prayer? And if there is a barrenness in your life, would you lift your hand right up towards him? And I want to pray over you today. All over this sanctuary, say with me right now, say, Lord Jesus, I give this barrenness to you. No matter how it looks, it looked bad for Elizabeth. It looks bad for me. But you turn barrenness into blessing. Now, Lord, I give you the barrenness in my soul. And by faith, I ask you, I strike the rock that nourishment would flow from it, that my answer would flow from it. I roll the burdenness onto you. In the name of Jesus. Now, can you just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is so good. Say with me one more time, God is bringing life in the barren places. Well, we just need to say it once more. Let's do it again. God is bringing life in the barren places. If you believe that, give him a hand of praise today.